What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Corey Abraham, SVP of Development and International Media for Oxygen. This was a lot of fun. We went through Corey's entire career trajectory, starting out working for a comedy manager, then moving on to FX. From there, she went on to VH1 in the early days before finding her way to Bravo. And that is really where Corey would make her mark, playing an instrumental role in the launches of some of the biggest franchises, not just for Bravo, but all of reality television. She then made her way over to Oxygen, and we talked about the recent rebrand into a crime network. Do Oxygen and ID have beef? What's the difference between an ID show and an Oxygen show? We talked about what reboots we would like to make, and we also addressed Corey and her secret society clique of friends, even though she maintains it's not a clique. This is my sit-down with Corey Abraham. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so I'm in the Comcast Tower in beautiful Universal City. First question I have to ask you as I look out your window. How many times have you been to Universal Studios since you've worked here? Actually, not um, not as many as you would think. Partially because I look at it all day long. But secondly, I don't do rides. You don't do um, rides? You're I one of those? I don't do rides. I, don't, I get nauseous. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm oh, not yeah. a motion kind of person. I don't do boats. I don't do rides. Um, so I like pay other people to take my kids to Disney. Like I really, I really don't. I don't do any of that. What do you mean take other? You don't, you don't do the family Disney thing. No, even? no. Wait, no. Disney is like the greatest theme park to not have to go on any rides and still no, have a great time. It is not like I don't like lines and I don't like crowds. <laughs> but can't you just get? Can't you just get the escort thing? I can't could you just do that thing. I don't want to go bad enough. I could have other people take them. Like, oh, if you're going, can I? Hey. Dylan's best friend. Do you want to take Dylan with you? And I will pay for her ticket. Or How many kids do you have? You have two, right? I have two kids. And the ages are what? They're 10 and 13 now. 10 and 13. And it's a- but I've really taken them once in my whole life. And I live, I don't know. And I think I've, I, we have our holiday party at Universal okay. two times. So they close it down for us. And that was good because it wasn't crowded and it was just us. And there was like food and booze everywhere. And my kids were great. Was it at the Potter World? The it Harry was at Potter? The whole, they whole closed down the whole park The whole for us. thing for Comcast employees. It, yes. And they actually did it for two different nights which was great is there any consideration to rename universal studios theme park comcast studios theme park? oh i doubt it i don't know we've never i've never been a part i'm not that's that definitely happen, not right? in my that's not in my planet of uh of conversations but no i don't think so all right first thing i want to get into yeah in the hip-hop world when two artists have a rivalry yeah do you know what that's called mm. beef oh it's beef oh yeah beef. okay they're beefing yeah there is a growing beef. I love that you're like the hip, you know, you know the whole oh, so, right? hip hop league. Oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> so, so down, right? Uh, there is a growing beef in the reality TV world that I think is emerging. And I have a personal anecdote I want to share. And I want to see once and for all, this is true. Yeah. But there is a beef. I'm feeling it between Oxygen, this fresh new crime network, and ID. Are you feeling this now? Is this becoming like legit rivalry? So I've heard about Talk right the beef. into the mic because okay. I want to get, get all this. <laughs> I've, I've heard about the beef, um, but we don't see it as a beef. And I'm, that sounds like a line, but we really don't. Like we're extremely grateful that Discovery ID is a very successful network that does so many hours of crime that has actually like paved the way for us to become a network. And I'm sure they don't want to hear that. But when they have success, we are not 
angry or not bitter. I, it only gets like a little bit beefy when I'm like, oh, I wish I could have bought that show, but it went to ID. But I think. And how often, a, how often is that happening? Not as often as you would think because mm. we're, we're tonally we're different. Um, how is that? What separates an Oxygen show from an ID show? I think that, you know, ID has success in a lot of their shows because they have a formula that they've been doing for quite a period of time. And so people go there because they know what they're going to get. They like it. It's familiar. And we sort of veer away from their formula. We're not – we tell stories in different ways. Um, A series could have where we have the reveal of the murderer in Act 1 and then sometimes Mm. the reveal of the murderer happens in Act 4. So it's all about the crime itself. Um, Where are you guys on Recre? Do you do as much Recre or is yours more docu uh, We don't even call them Recre. Yeah, we don't. We don't have any real dialogue on our Recre's. We okay. don't have any close-up reactions. Okay. I barely want to see a face. I never want to see somebody like with a with a knife. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. much rather like hear a car screech, hear a scream, and then see blood spatter on a seatbelt right. than ever see any person having anything to do with it. Maybe just shadowy figures. By the way, for those that are listening, there is not a small little dog walking around this office. That's Corey's charm bracelet. Oh, I know. Wait, I think, can I tell you something? I think you need, 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 need to take it off. Wait, but I will tell you something. This is like Pavlov for my stop. kids. My right. kids also, like, they know that I'm coming a mile away because of my charm. Like, they're like, oh, mom's somewhere. Okay, the, anyway, the charm bracelet the microphones may not have been picking it up, but I'm, I'm certainly distracted. Okay, because, sorry, I'm so, No, because I'm so type A. That's me. That's not you. That's, well, that's me. Bree Bryant will tell you, if you ever talk to Bree, that I had, like, I'm always, like, gesticulating with my arms. And so... <laughs> I'm the same cool. way. Okay, exactly. So... Okay, but going anyway. back to the beef. Yeah. Because your initial response was, you've heard about the beef. Well, I know that... you feel it. Well, I feel it only from having heard, right? From the so it doesn't... I don't sit there and go, like... Damn it, we're so competitive with ID. They're they're a monolith. They're so much bigger than we are. Okay, let me see if you, you're aware of what happened. I was told. Yes. At last ID con. Yes. Do you know where I'm going with this? No, I have not okay. heard the story. I was told by an ID employee at the annual ID con, which is like their version of their own like crime con thing in New York, that as they were waiting to open up the doors and there were people out in New York City waiting outside to get in, all the all the ID fans, in oxygen street team ran up on the crowd waiting outside and handed out oxygen swag and the people on the inside the id employees were like oxygen's outside oxygen's outside we have to get these people in we have to get these people in and it it had them rattled that oxygen showed up handing out swag you never heard about this no i thought that was the most gangster move and i loved it because i had flashbacks to when i would read books about how jeff zucker when he ran the today show bought signage in Times square yep. for the today show so it would appear on good morning america behind them on the window in Times square i thought you moving on to id's corner to borrow a phrase from the wire was it was a brilliant move but you weren't behind this no no well certainly programming wasn't it was probably okay. it was more of a marketing thing however it's smart i mean when i was an audience coordinator and i was at Sally Jesse Raphael and you know Maury Povich or you know Geraldo was down the street and i needed an audience i would go there and hand flyers and be like hey come to Sally someday and so i think it's just more a matter of like trying to get an audience it was more marketing than anything i don't it was not necessarily like let's be evil to id and let's go get them it was just more like, hey, you guys, the audience, you like crime. Right. Maybe you'll like this too. Because the truth is, it's like when they air something on, let's say, Jean Bonnet, and we air something on Jean Bonnet, it can work on both networks. Right. It's not necessarily like, you know, ooh, we're, we're premiering something on a specific topic and then they throw theirs up and it actually hurts our ratings. Often 
often people are like, oh, I want more. And because of DVR, mm. they don't have to necessarily, you know, live three or C3 mm. allows somebody to watch something on ID on Monday and be like, oh, Oxygen also has their version of that crime show. Let's watch that on Tuesday. So do you feel in any way that there's a bubble that's going to burst soon on retrospective, you know, cases and things that are in the past, like all, all these famous cases. I feel like we've had so many of them in the last three years with OJ series, Jean Benet, Casey Anthony. There's been so many, like Peter, Lisa Peterson came out on A&E. There's been a lot of those. Do you feel like there's only so many more? They, like the Menendez brothers, they had a big yeah. thing on what, like Dateline or something recently? Well, they had a Dateline. We had something on, on Menendez. Right. Obviously, NBC did their Menendez show. I, is, that, is that well tapped at this point? Menendez? No, I mean like all these old famous cases, oh. like these 90s, 2000s cases. A lot of them are. I mean, I guess unless you have a new perspective or some sort of new information or somebody coming forward that had never spoken before, mm. it's a little bit challenging. Yeah. But again, you could say the same thing about you know Jeffrey Dahmer, but we did a two-hour Dahmer special last year. Um, and we found victims who had never spoken before, and it was our highest-rated crime really? special. Oh, yeah. We had, like, a total of across all day parts. It was something like almost $3 million. Like, Why do we huge... like this so much? Like, what does your research uh, tell you? Um, and why is it predominantly women? Like, like well, it's ID, a mystery. ID would tell me it's 70% women over there yeah, for the most part. Is that we, what you guys are? Yeah, well, we are a women's network. We right. really only track the women's numbers for the most part. Like, okay. That's primarily who we sell to. Um it's a good mystery. People like mysteries and twists and turns and trying to figure it out and play along. They also like to have a debate at home about a, about a topic. So you could tell me something like, oh, Scott Peterson, you know, everybody thinks he's a murderer. For sure he's a murderer. But then we can bring up like, well, maybe maybe he's just a jerk. Maybe he's just a guy who was cheating on his wife. Oh, there's a lot of stuff about the Scott Peterson case that's fascinating. I, I, was, I was researching it and thinking I might have a project in that space too. And there's witness reports from that morning, the things about the dog, you know, where Lacey may have really been last spotted in the neighborhood walking that dog on the morning she supposedly was kidnapped or taken away. Like there's a lot of things in the actual police reports that oh, are yeah. sketchy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if I – let's say I had killed Case Lacey, like let's just say – um, or somebody, and I was watching the news, and I saw—I probably shouldn't say that—but um, if somebody had killed Kate Lacey, right. and they were watching the news, and they saw oh Scott Peterson fishes in that lake all the time, guess where I would—you know, somebody would go dump that body. Right. Like right. it was everywhere. Right. Um, so Cause, yeah, because the body was found months later. Months later. So the body could have been dumped at any, any time point. after everybody knew that it didn't have to be when Scott. That's was where away he fishing. went fishing. Exactly. Right. So. Um, Huh, so I, I think it's about that. a good conversation, right? I want people to be able to go home and say to their spouse, their husband, their wife, their friends, their daughters, whoever they're watching crime with or talking about crime with, you know, listen, I, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. Yeah. Or, right? Wouldn't it be really weird? Was it a rush to judgment? So, so I think that being able to have that conversation, that's where you can get older stories that have been played out a bunch to be able to have a new perspective on it or a new thought behind it. Um, but yes, we are running out of those famous cases, you know, like yeah. we are, um, and especially for oxygen at this point in time, we don't dive too deeply down into the past mm. because we want the real people who were there, the investigators, the family members to participate in our shows. Right. That helps with like the emotional connection with the audience. Yeah. Right. So like, I feel for somebody who lost their daughter or I feel for that investigator who didn't solve that crime for 20 years. So mm. there's an emotional connection. But when we start to go back 40 years, 50 years, it's hard to get people to sort of participate in that. So we are also limited really to sort of more recent stuff too. Well, I want to go back. Yeah, so, go back. Sorry. Let's talk about your story. Okay. Uh, you yeah, grew up... I went down the rabbit hole. No, no, no. That's like, fantastic. Crime. It's fantastic. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. 
New- oh, Jersey Girl. Yeah. Isn't Sharon Levy a Jersey Girl? Sharon Levy's a Long Island girl. Long Island girl. Sorry, I'm from California. It's all the same. Yeah, we, uh, we sound the same. And where'd you go to college? I went to Wisconsin. What was it about TV for you? Was it always TV or did you find that in college when you were pretending to study at Wisconsin? Mm, yeah, I was kind of pretending. I will tell you this, that I, um, I, mean, I majored in TV. Wisconsin's on the party list every year. Oh, yeah, it is. It's like, a huge party school. The top 10 list just came out and Wisconsin's always in the top like It always three. is. Yeah. It always is. Um, I definitely went to Wisconsin to like live, like to have a good time <laughs> and hopefully get some sort of education. I, I, but I did end up majoring in TV and theater. Oh. I was a double major. Okay. Um, you know, theater. loved acting. Yeah. When Wait, I was a you kid. were acting? I was. Was that the plan? That was the plan until I realized that as an actor, you don't actually act until much later it's about auditioning and right. marketing yourself and all that stuff and i was like i don't really want to audition for a living i just want to do the shows i want to act i want to be in theater and so i was a, an actor for a long time i was a kid actor in new york a little bit like what? i went on a lot of auditions and barely booked anything except but what for like did you, what did you book are these commercials i could find on youtube well i was like in an after school special as like an extra of an extra once <laughs> um and i was i like got Many callbacks for growing pains. I oh. tested for growing pains. Oh. And then I was almost um, Tracy Gold's role. Like Seriously? Long, yeah, like a long time ago. Wait, come on. No, really. And then I Wait, also... On growing pains. On growing pains. It was in New York. I tested for it. It was like... Oh, God. I, I maybe went back four or five times for it or something. That's amazing. And then I also was really close to a Neil Simon Broadway show, uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs. And I went back and I actually auditioned finally for Neil Simon. And then I didn't get that. And it was after that final audition where i didn't get that one and i was like i don't think i really want to do this it was too painful i was a kid i was like 14 that's what i'm saying like to deal with the rejection of 14 that just seems so brutal to your psyche as you're just going through just teenager stuff it was brutal right well that that too and also i was never like the ingenue type the cute Mm -hmm. ingenue i was sort of like the funny kind of comedic person Mm. but um i also just didn't I don't, I didn't really like, I, the, you know, the whole, I never really had tremendous amount of body insecurities mm. and that was right. sort of getting in my psyche. And to be honest, That's I, what was, I'm saying. I was like really happy to like not have to like be skinny for television or they even said to me at one point, they were like, you either need to gain 10 pounds, or you need to lose 10 pounds. Cause you're not the funny fat one, but you're also <sighs> not. So like, <sighs> and at that point, and I was like 14 or 13. And at that point I was just like. Um, so I, I totally left, didn't, didn't do theater pretty much in high school or even in college for the first few years. And then I sort of couldn't get away from it again. And so I sort of sucked me back in. I did a double major. And then when I graduated from school, I ended up going to, um, I got a job offer in New York from my internship the previous year, but I really wanted to go to Chicago and do theater because mm. I was in Wisconsin, but, um, so New York was happen. the first gig. New York, I ended up working at Sally Jesse Raphael. That was the first gig. That was I was an intern there, and then it was my Back first in, job there. This is the heyday of daytime television. It was the heyday of daytime right? TV. Right, this is Donahue, this is Montrell, this is Jenny Jones, Oprah, Ricky Lake. I mean, Geraldo. For people listening now, like that were born, you know, maybe in like the late eighties and early nineties, they have no memory of this era. This was a crazy boom. At it was the time. a crazy boom. Latifah had her own. Show. I mean, it was yeah. crazy. It was really. Um, it was every single person got a daytime talk show. Remind me, like, what was Sally Jesse L's background? Like, what, what was her superpower? She was in radio. Host? So she was in radio, and she was also one of the first. Okay. So, um, so she was um, doing a talk radio show, I think, in Connecticut. was where she originally started, or Philadelphia. I'm not exactly sure where she started. But she had a talk radio show. And so she was ultimately one of the first. Who was the first, though? Was it Donahue? It may have been Donahue. Right? Because Donahue preceded Oprah. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, was Donahue, like, the pioneer that had the first daytime thing? I or think was it was it, Donahue. Or was, it, or was it Sally? It was... No, well, so, Don, Donahue and Sally were sort of similar timing. I think it was okay. Donahue and Sally, sort of, like, maybe Sally just, I, again, I really don't yeah, remember, yeah. but it was, like, very, very early, and then Springer came along. Sure. And then everybody sort of, and Maury Povich, and then a lot of people came and had their shows, and then a lot of people right. left, and then Sally remained for a very long time, Donahue remained. Maury Povich is, like, the, the last man standing. Maury Povich, it's not even, like, the Maury Povich show anymore. It's just like are you the father or not yeah, exactly. like they literally just took one segment and yeah. made the whole show yeah which is absolutely addictive if like you're homesick on a day from work oh yeah and you find it it's kind of hard not to it's kind of hard not to i'm yeah. gonna come back after the break just to find out if, if yeah, exactly you, if, if you is are or not the father i know um what was the which day? is ironic because that was crime dna swabs right then there like we it's used true. to swab dna <laughs> now it's like and come back in three weeks to find out it's, it's, it's time yeah what was the what was the charge what was the first gig at sally jesse Raphael? were you a pa I was well. I was an intern, and then I was um, the uh, audience coordinator, and then the travel coordinator. That sounds awful. It was awful. No, it was great. Any I mean, sort of audience coordinating or travel sounds just well. I will tell you, it was um, it was great and it was awful at the same time. My job was to fill the audience with whatever type of person that that topic was about for the day so if the show was we wanted people in the audience who cared about the topic and so it wasn't just a random bus full of people although i did send lots of buses to lots of communities and like um uh senior citizen communities we have the women from montclair new jersey today in the audience or the ernst and young you know freshman class whatever i would always send buses for people to like have them do field trips to sally to fill the seats and stuff but um, but we also booked a lot of people who were, you know, in the first two rows who cared, could ask a smart question, who would get mad about it, felt really strongly on one side or the other, which is oddly producing, right? right. So like we're 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 booking an audience, we're booking characters, and I remember even at that time, and there were a lot of interesting people there at the time, but the, um, but I remember at the time there were no casting directors for those for those for those obviously the people the guests that were on the show. It was the producers booked them and asked all the questions. Right. And so ultimately, you know, that's what reality became. If you look back at any of oh, the yeah. episodes, oh, yeah. it's like we used to have these things called the cart. And I, my, also my job was to answer the phone um, when I was an intern, right? And so there was yeah. a cart at the end of every episode that was like, did you sleep with your brother's best friend, right? And so we would know how the show did by how much the phone rang off the hook at that moment in time. Right. And I would be like, Sally Jesse, please, please hold. Sally Jesse Raphael, please hold. So did you, did you sleep with your brother's best friend, <laughs> right? And so like we would know if the phones were off the hook, if the ratings were going to be good that day. It really was the precursor to Rowdy TV. You're right. Yeah. From there, did you go on to produce on another show? No, I was at Sally for probably two years. Okay. And then the acting sort of bug sort of came Again? back. Came back. It came back. Um, and so I went um, and I just I went back. I left Sally. I did some theater classes and okay. did another sort of like tour of like some small stuff in New York and then um, decided to become an assistant to a talent manager or an intern to a talent manager um, and went to go work for him thinking like he's going to think that I'm really funny and want to represent me. He represents lots of comedic actors and writers and he represented some prolific people. And so um, within two weeks of my job there, I was like, I don't really want to be an actor anymore. This is for the birds because he represented like Kate Walsh, who I was one of like, hey, don't you want to see Kate Walsh in this? She was huge and Artie Lang and Sam Cedar and like all of these Mm -hmm. unbelievable comedians and i saw how hard they had it and they were successful and i was just right. like i'm nobody yeah, yeah, yeah. And so i was just like i that's when i finally got rid of the acting bug 
That's that's a similar story to me when I worked at CAA on a TV lit desk and I saw how many writers were not getting staffed on shows. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be a writer. Yeah, no, that's brutal. Yeah, I can't. I can't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, though, about your theater background. You know who else had a big theater background before they got into TV? Hmm. Jane Lapman at IB. Oh, really? Yeah. You guys would have a lot to talk about. Oh, we could do that. Oh, yeah. A lot of theater stuff. Um, okay. So you worked for that manager for how long? I worked for Ken. His name is Ken Trush, and I worked for him for uh, two years. Okay. And then yeah. what? And then so Ken, you know, had a lot of comedy clients, and so I would – um, go to a lot of comedy clubs, mm. probably four or five nights a week. Fortunately, my father was like um, happy to help me sort of in my career. And so I would go to comedy clubs and take out any comedian, like buy, buy them drinks because I was just like, they need to know who I am. Otherwise, I'm irrelevant. And so I would buy everybody from like, you know, but Pat Noswell, all of them. I would just buy them all what, drinks. But for what reason? Like, um, to, I work for a talent manager. Sign them me, or? No, they, a lot of them were signed, but it was sort of like I was there with an expense account called David Finkelstein. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was always like, hey, I'll lie around. And so I would like, you know, Todd Berry. I would just like buy drinks. Todd Jeff Berry, Ross. so that era. Todd Berry, Patton. Is this Sarah Jeff Silverman area? Yeah, Sarah. David Jessica, who okay. I'm still good friends with. And so um, – Jeffrey Ross. Jeff Ross. Uh, and I was I was Ken's um, assistant. And so he was – he listen, they – like they – don't barely would know me today, but every right. once in a while I'll like, you know, see somebody and I'm like, Oh, remember me? I was Ken Trusha's assistant. And they're like, no way. Like, and so, um, but, um, but that was great. And, and the thing that I learned about, about that was really, um, if you can become an expert in something. Yeah. And so I wasn't necessarily like a huge comedy buff before I started comedy, nor was I desperate to be a comedy executive, but I knew a lot of comedians and I knew that I had an opinion and a strong opinion about whether who I liked and who I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I sort of by default became an expert in comedy. Mm. And so at that time also, it was kind of like my grad school was listening to, you know, Ken Truce, like, get me Les Moonves. I was like, I have Ken Truce for Les Moonves. Meanwhile, it was me and Ken in his apartment on 81st Street. Wow. Right? Like, and um, he'd be like, get me Brandon Tartar. Like, it was literally like I would just dial people. You'd and be I would, at his and apartment? Would, that's where his office was. His office was in an apartment on 81st Street. But was it like, like, was it just the apartment or did he actually have a separate wing no. of this? Like, it was a little was bit office? of a, it was a, it was his dining room that we turned, <laughs> he turned into an office. He left W William Morris. It was him and Peter Principato. They were best friends. And Peter Principato was in, yeah. um, he was in, um, commercial. I think he was a commercial agent at the time. And Ken Trush was really close with Peter. And no so, way. and so those guys would, um, yeah, we, they shared a lot of clients the same. And so, oh, that's but I would cool. roll calls with him and that's when I learned like, Oh, that's what a publicist does. I don't really want to what do was, that. Is there one call you have in mind that you remember from assistanthood that you kind of geeked out on? Oh, that's a good question. Cause I had a couple of those when I was working at NBC for Ben and, and there'd be some random phone calls that come in. I'd be like, what Jerry Seinfeld? What? Huh? Yeah. I remember a Donald Trump call specifically oh, really? where, um, the assistant next to me, I'm not going to name him cause he has a really good job now. I don't want to embarrass him, but <laughs> the number two assistant next to me. So we have Donald on one line. I have Donald on one line and the, uh, on the other line, Oh my God, you know what's crazy about this is this actually happened the night of Obama's, um, winning the presidency. No. Yes. That's so weird. That's so weird. Okay, so Ben's talking to Donald, and he's holding for Ben. And on the other line, the number two assistant is calling ordering pizzas for the election party we're having at Ben's house. Oh, my God. So at one point, the lines get merged, and the number two assistant puts the pizza guy on the line with Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. 
That's and, so crazy. And they're on the line, and like this, this other assistant realizes what they did, and just stops talking, and just leaves it for Donald and the pizza guy to figure it out. And oh he's like, God. "Who is this?" And like the guy's like, "This is so and so from like you know Vinny and Al's Pizza. Who's this?" Like. What? What are you doing on the line like that? And then just like they just hung up eventually. And Donald never brought it up to Ben. Thirty seconds later, when we got them on the call together, he didn't. He didn't bring it up. That's amazing. Yeah. So you fell into that comedy bubble, and I, and as I was researching your background, I had no idea that you were a director of comedy at FX. Well, yeah, but even did, before did that, set you on that path. Well, before that, I went to Comedy Central. So I was. Oh I no was, way! I was Kent Alterman's assistant at Comedy no Central. No way! I was. I was there for two and a half, three years too. What era of Comedy Central is this? So Daily Show launched when I was there. Wow. South Park had just launched when I started. So did you know Sharon Levy? Oh yeah, that's how I met Sharon because she was doing PR. Yes. So Sharon and I were like little smoking buddies outside together. Look at that. I know that's how we became friends, Sharon and I. We'll get into that friendship later. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna dabble into that in a little bit. Okay. Fine. Uh, so you started Comedy Central. And how how long were you there for? Um, I was there for like two and a half years as the assistant. I was Ken. I was Ken's assistant, and then I became okay. a coordinator, and I worked there. But during that time, we did like UCB, and I worked with Amy Poehler, and right. we, you know we did um, um, Viva Variety. Which, oh sure, you know all of all of that. I remember sort that. Of, yeah, so it was good times there. That was the guys from uh, the state. Yep. That's right. Yep. Oh my god, I remember Viva Variety. Yep. And then they later great. did another show together, just the three of them. They, well, they did not, Reno Nine One One. That's right. Well, there was another one I'm thinking of that the three of them did. Stella. Oh, Stella. Yeah, Stella. They did Stella as well. Oh, yeah, with David Wayne too, yeah. That's such a great time. Yeah, it was really great. What was the FX gig? So then um, I came out to L.A. to meet meet up with some friends. Okay. And I just had a general meeting with Jeremiah Bosgang, who was running programming at FX. Um, I was going out to L.A. just for like to visit friends. Sure. A boyfriend at the time. A boyfriend at the time. Okay. Who I was kind of pining after. Okay. And I was like, well, while I'm there, I'll just have some general meetings. And I met with Jeremiah Bosgang, and he offered me a job as a manager of development in the room. In the room. In the room. I didn't even know there was a job. Based on like, a general. And can you start in two weeks? Now, is this the true story? Is this I story, swear. Is this a story you had to tell at the time? No. For HR reasons? No. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you just no. now remembered it this way? No. No, okay. really. Was FX, like, they weren't higher up than Comedy Central at that time, right? No. FX was a startup network. They right? were more of a startup in original programming. They had like this is pre Ryan Murphy FX, way pre. So it was a, a long time ago, and they wanted to get into more comedy. Mm. And so I had, I knew a lot of comedians. I can call up, wow. you know, X, Y, and Z, and be like, "Hey, come do a show in FX." Um, and so that's ultimately when I went out. So I went out there, and Jeremiah was like, "So who do you like in comedy?" And I was like, "I like this person, this person, this person." And anyway, so he was like, "When can you start?" And that brought you to LA. Two weeks later. What happened with the boyfriend you're pining after? So, uh, so he broke up with me when I came, but um, but we're but we're actually really good friends today. We're really good friends today. Where is he now? He's a comedy writer. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope he doesn't get stuff. Yeah, he was soon. always in comedy, but you know, it was he's he's a great guy. It just didn't work out. But and you got promoted at FX. I got promoted at FX to director. And the next stop after that was VH1. And then I got married and moved to New York. <laughs> I went to L.A. Right. and was at FX, and then I went back. I got married. I went back to New York and was at VH1 thinking, like, oh, I grew up in the East Coast. Right. Now I'm married. I'm going to have some kids, and I'm going to stay here. But Got it, because you wanted to be based back on the East Coast. I thought I did, yeah. Okay. And VH1, that's where the job was. And, and that's v- where the job was. And VH1 at this time is, like, they've got a lot of reality shows going on. This is no. Po- nothing? No. This is post-pop-up video? This is ju- just post-pop-up video. It was during, like, I Love the 80s and I Love the 90s. It was... okay. So they're becoming a um, pop culture network at this time. Yes, it was all about pop culture. Right. They're moving away from videos into pop culture. And you were there for that first 
that first phase of, of reality shows. Yes. And I want I want to go back in. I want to go back in and credit some of these shows. Oh no, because uh, I, I did my diligence. <laughs> uh, totally obsessed. Totally obsessed. <laughs> what was? I don't know what that is. What is totally obsessed? Oh, totally obsessed was like unbelievable pop culture fandom. So people who were obsessed with superheroes and they had the craziest superhero collection. And so we would feature them in an episode or somebody who was totally obsessed with, I don't remember. I mean, I would uh, say, I would say our, our genre has uh, evolved. evolved a bit. Has it not? It has evolved a bit. Yeah. What was true spin? Oh my God. By the way, honestly... this, these are shows referenced in your press releases. As you got, as you moved around from network to network, that's how I found. I don't even remember what True Spin is. You don't even know what that is? No, because it was like probably like a special that we did at VH1. And the other one they listed, and Eli Lair, friend of the show. Yeah, I emailed him just for a little background on things I should talk to you about. Yeah, he brought up this show too, Boot Camp colon showgirls oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah eli and i spent some time in las vegas doing, <laughs> doing what was a, this was an, it this was, was a, a competition show to become a showgirl yes it was it was a competition show to become a showgirl in vegas and this was early days of competition unscripted right Clearly. so oh yeah no yeah we did that for sure yeah did that go more than one season no <laughs> no no, I don't even know if it went a season. It might have just been cut down to a special too. Give give, give people a sense that weren't weren't actively producing or buying at this time. Give people a sense of what form the pitches came in when you were at VH1 at this point. Like Showgirls or Totally Obsessed or True Spin, even if you could remember it. What did the producers have sitting in front of you when that got bought? We would pay people to actually flesh it out at the time. Okay. Where now people come in a little bit more prepared, all packaged. Um, With a full – you have to have a full 10-minute sizzle and exactly. the, the whole thing ready But to there go. was no package back then either. It was sort of like it didn't, it didn't no. quite function the same way. No, you and can so, really just come in with a log line. Just a log line and a title. I mean I'm pretty sure – And at the time, yeah. you know, we, our research was like, you know, Vegas is cool. Like we were trying to sort of like <laughs> create – I mean, the research has evolved as well. Like your research, like, hey guys, we have this idea for showgirls. People like Vegas. People like Vegas. People are obsessed with Vegas. So you just left FX, where you had done uh, an Emmy-nominated show. What what was uh, Lucky? Lucky. And you worked on Son of the Beach, which was produced by Howard Stern. Yeah. You had been in this cool comedy bubble. Totally. And now you're VH1 making a competition show about showgirls. Was part of you like? I'm seeing my the future of my career pass before my eyes, or did you love it from day one? Because here's the thing that people don't get when you move from scripted to unscripted is unscripted is a producer's medium. Yeah. Scripted is all about the writer, and you can only do so much yep. as the producer in that. So did part of you love the hands-on nature of the making of the shows in unscripted, or was it kind of a growing pains for you moving from one genre to the other? I completely loved it. Okay. I love real people, and I love getting into the psyche of real people, mm. um, and I love to get into the mindset of a different audience member, right? So when I was at VH1, I was like, okay, now I'm a middle America. I'm 25, 30 years old. I love pop culture and I don't have a lot of money. It was, it was sort of like I would get into the psyche. I probably could like go back to the acting days. I would get into the character of who that audience was. Mm. Um, and so, um, so it was just, I loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. How many years were you there? Uh, probably three, two and a half, three years. And how did the Bravo job come about? Because that was the next stop, right? Right. So then um, I had been talking to VH1 about moving to L.A. Okay. Um, because I, I, I actually thought like probably, you know, in L.A. is a little bit more growth than in New York when I was yep. at VH1. And although I loved it, there were 17 directors of development at the same time as, as right. that I was there. And a lot of them I adored and loved. But at the time I was like, how am I going to get 
from point A to point B. I didn't I didn't really see the path, and I was like, okay. well, once I figure this out, I need to learn how to like wh- where am I going to go that I can actually be in a little bit of a bigger fish in a smaller pond or mm. um, a little bit less people or um, just have interaction with the heads. So right. again, I was we were sort of like many different development departments of VH1 at the time. Right. And so I was in, in one group, which was great. Um, but at the same time, you know, the people who ran the network didn't even know who I was. Wow. So you just wanted to move up. Well, I wanted to move up, but I also wanted to, we, we developed a lot of stuff that didn't get made. It was, again, it it was very much like the wild west of like, we really didn't know any, we would get pitched so many different ideas. Mm. Um, and it was not a very clear you know, brand for the network at the time. It was just pop culture. Right. Just do pop culture. Um, And so... Did did you have kids at this point? No. Okay. So that made the move to LA a little easier, I I would... Exactly. I would think. So I I came out to LA. I was going to move within VH1 and I had been, you know, just in our business. You talk to people, you meet people all the time. I'd... Be, I had become friendly with Jamila Hunter, who was at Bravo at the time. Sure. And when she heard that I wanted to move out to L.A., she was like, wait a minute, you want to move to L.A.? Can you come meet you know, Jeff Gaspin tomorrow? Awesome. So I went in, and then I, I thought it was the worst interview of my entire life. Really? And I got a job offer the next day. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What do you vividly remember about that interview with Gaspin? I remember pitching him some terrible ideas. <laughs> like I don't even remember the, the names of them, but he was so deadpan. And so, I mean, that's, you know, Jeff right. is, is, um, doesn't give... A lot, you know. Isn't, he, isn't once you Jeff, get to know him, isn't Jeff given credit for creating Unplugged? Yeah, that that's his, I right? So, yeah, I think yeah. so. I he, think so. He was a VH1. He was a VH1 prior, but I did not work with him there. Right, but he knew, you know, where you yeah. come from. So he you had that connection when you sat with him. Yes, a little bit. He is very hard to read. He was just tough to read, and I. Oh. And to be honest, I was, you know, I like to make people laugh, and I like to. You're say, a performer. I'm a performer. And I got nothing. <laughs> I got absolutely nothing. And not only did I walk out of that interview and I called my husband and I was just like, not only did I not get that job, but I may never work in television again. And then I got a job offer. You got a call the next day. I got a call the next day. From and HR. was that to be VP at, at Bravo? No, it was to be a director. Okay. And so I was a director of uh, development and production. And it was okay. um, working. So Francis at the time, Francis Barrick was the head of programming God, francis was still there then yeah how many years has she been here at Comcast? a long time so she was at bravo when it was owned by rainbow media and then wow. nbc bought bravo right and i came in pretty much quickly after nbc bought bravo because jeff yeah. jamilo who was working at nbc at the time was in the nbc offices still right um, the Bravo offices she had just moved to, right? And I would we would go over to the NBC lot and take pictures with Jeff because he was president of both Bravo and NBC at the time, right? Was this over when it was on Mid Wilshire? No, no, we were we were Burbank, Burbank. You guys used to be over at Burbank. For I was Bravo? there for nine years. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, that's where I was when I worked for Ben. We started. Oh, yeah. we started off Bob Hub Drive over there. Yeah, right? and then we, we were, made the move over across the street here at Universal. We were at, um, in the Pinnacle Building. Didn't you love being? Back on I that loved Burba- it. That Burbank lot. Oh yeah, I loved it. The I old would... Tonight Show. It was great. All the history there. Walk to the commissary. It was great. It's it's so different, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so now you're at Bravo. This is like now entering a golden era yeah. of programming when you were at Bravo. Yeah. Was there already a Housewives on the air when you got there? No, I was I was in the original pitch for Housewives. You were. Yeah, it was called Behind the Gates. And the first one was New York. No, no, no it was Orange OC. County. Orange it was County. OC. And I covered. I think I covered a little bit of this with Jen O'Connell. Because she did New York, right? She pitched to me Manhattan Moms, which became New York. And that's how – this is the one thing I think that 
has always stood out to producers and people in the community is that when Housewives was starting and you guys were launching in different cities, it was different production companies making it. It was all different companies. So the first one in Orange County, tell me the story about that and how it was possible that it got farmed out to other companies later on. Did you guys develop it in-house and that's how you controlled it? Or was it just a little baby production company that just didn't get a good deal? It was it, so it was. And I'm pitched, speaking as a producer. I'm not yeah, trying to like you no, know, fair enough. Convict so, anybody of anything, no, but right. It is crazy to think that like all these housewives as you were watching, like Jersey was produced by somebody else, New York was produced by somebody else, yeah, Beverly Hills and OC produced by somebody else. So I mean, again, this is and you said it was it was early days and unscripted, yeah. and so it was before people even really thought of franchising in that kind of way in the unscripted business. Totally right. So you thought yeah. when you did that's a good point, New York. Um, when we did Orange County and then we went to the next offsite and we pitched, uh, New York. Mm. So Jerry Leo, who was incredible, he was the one. So we went to, um, the offsite and said, okay, well, we have a new version of housewives. It was Manhattan moms. Now we want to call it, you know, the real housewives of New York. Jerry said, so let's do that one. And then let's go back to Orange County and then let's go back to New York. And so we would do a cycle of Orange County and then a cycle of New York and then go back to a cycle of Orange County. But that had never been done before. Yeah, I'm trying to think. At this stage in the game, had there been any spinoff of a reality franchise no, at that point? No, and not only that, we know, nobody even thought that way. I thought, okay, season one is The Real Housewives of Orange County. Right. Like you would in like Survivor. You'll cha- you'll change, yes, you'll change you cast change every the season. Cast, or in right. Big Brother, you change the cast. So yeah. season two would have been New York. Right. But it was Jerry Lee. I was like, no, we got to go back. And like, yeah, no, so you we're going to get two for you one. Get two for one. And it really, yeah. it, you know, it was from a schedule. And, and because he's a scheduling guy, he's thinking, how can I stretch this out? Exactly. Throughout the year. Exactly. But walk me through the Orange County. So when that first got brought in, yeah. what form was it brought into as? Was it, it, were the producers calling it the Real Housewives of Orange no, County? No, it was pitched, it was called the Behind the Gates. And it was about a gated community in Orange County. And was this post the OC on Fox? No, I don't. I don't actually don't know. Was it post Laguna Beach? I think it was around the same time as Laguna Beach. I don't know. I'll have to look. I can't remember. I should know this. I actually don't know. I should know this. I don't remember. Um, And was it? It might have been around the same time. Was it undeniable? Was the cast undeniable? No. Well. I'm trying to remember. I think Gina Kehoe was in it or maybe Vicki Gumbelson. I think those two okay. um, were in the cast. And um, it was more about the gated community. We liked the concept of huh. a gated community. And although they were great characters, it was really like we didn't know that this was going to become what yeah, it yeah, became. Yeah. It was sort of like, let's see if we can cast some other characters. Let's see who else lives there. So someone said, so, here's a gated community I have. Yep. And it wasn't being pitched as here are the queen bees running this gated community. It was about the families and just people in the, in community. the gated community. And then somewhere along the way, as you were developing it and putting people on tape, someone in your department decided, wait, what if we just focus on these women? That is correct. We focused on the women. But it was also because at the time, um, Desperate Housewives was a huge success. Right. That's right. That's where the apple and holding the orange came yes. from. That was derivative of Desperate it Housewives. Was derivative. And, and their opening titles. Correct. And that's, that's right. how we changed the title to The Real Housewives. Uh, of Orange County was because Desperate Housewives was such a huge success and we thought, well, we might as well try to take a bite out of that and then it sort of like took off from there. Got it. Okay. And but so- I don't even think that I, I didn't work on season one of it. I just was in the pitch and then we, we developed it and at the time it was sort of like, you know, who who can do what at what time? <laughs> we Everybody was sort of so crazy. But, so but, although but I was after in the New pitch, York, it must have become, it felt like it was a sweepstakes. If you can find crazy women in any city, 
Well, it you was can, a little you bit. You can get a housewife show. It was a little bit like that. Right? It was a little bit of the Wild West after that. Well, it was that if you, if you can find eight, five, five, six, seven great characters that fit this mold, then you should come pitch them to us. And so basically we did Orange County, then we did um, New York, and then simultaneously in the next offsite was, I believe, um, Atlanta and New Jersey. Right. God, same that, offsite. That New Jersey. For, that first both. season of New Jersey was fire. Yeah. I watched every episode of that one. Yeah. I, 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 never watched, I never watched another Housewives, but for some reason I watched every episode of the first season of Jersey. Yeah. And that's what made me fall in love with Nina Diaz because she show ran it. Oh, yeah. And then Nina was our showrunner on Mob Wives. Oh, right. And I was like such a fan. I'm like, we've got to get the person that did Jersey Housewives. She'll get, she'll get it from Mob She's Wives. She's awesome. Yeah. And now Nina's like one of the most powerful women sitting yep. in cable right now. Um, all right. So bravo. Kathy Griffin. Yeah. You were like the Kathy Griffin ride or die. You were her executive through that whole My Life on the D-List run and Emmys and the whole thing for her. Yep. How did that pitch get brought in? So that pitch actually was brought in, I think, to the East Coast to Amy in Tricasa Davis in New York. Okay. And I didn't work on season one. Okay. But I did work on seasons two through right. the end of the run. And then I did all of her specials too. Um, She's – I just full transparency, I was developing with her – right after the Trump thing went down and it was going to be like a comeback story. And to this day, it's like probably the best sizzle I've ever been a part of that didn't sell. Yeah. Um, Cause nobody, nobody wanted to get in the middle of that fray as Kathy is actively getting death threats uh, and not allowed to play a show um, and do comedy publicly because of the Trump photo. And now she's fine and she's touring and she's selling out, you know, everywhere around the world. But at the moment I got to know Kathy, but Right after we got passed on and we stopped talking, she did one of her like kind of Instagram videos and you got called out on that, didn't you? I actually was the only one who did it. And you I did don't get know called how, out on that. I don't know how I escaped that one. In fact, I got a call from Andy and from um, Amy and from Jen Levy and they were like, how did you <laughs> escape that whole right. rant? I escaped the whole rant. And it's either because she liked me or because she forgot I was the last I, I, I had left before all of that had finished. I don't know. I wasn't I don't know. Either she totally forgot about me or I just she liked me enough to, to not include me in the mess. But you the people you had to work with while at Bravo, Paul Abdul. Yep. I was told from a friend of ours, I should bring up Paul Abdul. Oh, yeah, that was a time. Hey, Paula. I don't remember. Hey, Paula. I forgot. I forgot it even happened. I, I had an I have a ex, some experiences with Paula Abdul uh, a few years ago we were developing. What was what was Hey Paula? What was your experience on that? Oh, so Hey Paula was a docu soap following Paula Abdul while she was a judge on American Idol. Okay, and so um, so the idea was is that we would just follow her in her life, right? And so we hired a showrunner, we hired a director. Um, but Paula was going through a lot of stuff at the time and she wouldn't shoot. She wouldn't want to come out and shoot. And I think out of the first 20 something shoot days, like 17 of them were just the cameras like sitting around waiting for Paula to come out of her room. And so, but, but she did like the idea of producing the show. She liked the idea of making a reality show, but when it came time to actually go and like, let's go to the jewelry store to pick this up or let's go get our driving test or whatever all those elements were, she didn't actually want to do any of those. She just wanted to talk about the show. So we would have a production meeting in her house every single day. And at some point I said to the cameras, 
turn the cameras on in the production meeting because you're sitting here doing nothing. We have nothing else. Nothing else. So every morning I would go to her house. We would talk about what we wanted to do. And wow. we were Paula's on, – on, and so I ended up in the show because we ended up being Paula's team – Right, this and is like so, before True Tory and the Lindsay Lohan show, oh, it was before this all seems of that. very similar. Yeah, and you're so, breaking the wall we about were, how your talent isn't helping the show make the show. We, well, it was a little bit less that we actually were like her team. You had to right? cover it up a little we bit. We were her team, okay. so you you can see like us all sitting around talking about the Paula business and how we were gonna how what she was gonna do, and so much of that show. Which was supposed to be, I don't know how many hours, ended up as a bunch of half hours, but um. But yeah, I was on the phone with Paula for many hours at many, you know, many days oh at my gosh. crazy hours at a time. And to be really honest, I, I was um, I was like immersed in it in her world. And I was really mm. sympathetic because she was so she really was so um, unhappy and really. But she's clean. still shooting live shows for American Idol as this is going on. She would get to the live show seconds before the show would tape. Wow. And it was and I and I know because it was like people were freaking out every single time like she right. would get there. I was like I would be on the phone with Amy and I was just like, "Well, she just left the house." She's like, "Well, she it's live in about right. four, in 5 minutes. I don't know how she's going to get there." So, but it was it was definitely crazy times. When uh when you leave Bravo, you are like this big fish and now everybody knows who Corey Abraham is. The housewives have all launched under your helm and they say, "Hey Corey, you've done great stuff. Our network is booming." How would you like to come over to, to Oxygen? And at this point, refresh people. What was Oxygen before Universal bought it? I forgot the origin story of Oxygen. Um, Oxygen was, you know, it was always a women's network. Yeah. It was um, started by Geraldine Laybourne and Oprah. That's right. And then um, NBC bought it, um, I'm going to say, four years into me being. So maybe okay. in 2000, actually 2007 maybe. Okay. They bought it before you got there. No, no, I was at Bravo when Oxygen oh. was acquired. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah. But before you came to Oxygen. Before I came to Oxygen. Yeah. So now it's part of the family. Yeah. And your boss, who's your boss at the time? Amy? Well, it was um Amy was my boss and then um and Lawrence Lasnick. And they say, How would you like to come run development at Oxygen? Well, before that, um Lauren asked me, you know, what do you think about Oxygen? Do you want to go? And I was like, I really like oxygen, but if I I, I don't feel I mean, at that point I don't think I'd been the head of development at Bravo for a full two years. I think mm-hmm. like some of the stuff that we were, I was still developing um, hadn't, even though I'd been there for a long time. Um, it was sort of like my my you know I was the head of development, and so I could right. you know have although it's such a team effort over there. So and as it is here, so it's not like any one person is responsible for anything. Sure. But um, but I kind of wasn't ready to go, and so yeah. I had said you know. If you want me to go, of course I'll go. But if it was up to me, I'd stay. <laughs> and so then I did for a year. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And then a year later, Lauren like, said, "I hey, remember when we asked you." <laughs> a year later, Lauren said, "Well, we really kind of need you to go." And this is like now, you to go. This is like seven years later now, right? How long have you been here now? Um, it was. I had been at NBC probably for seven years. I'd been at um, Bravo for seven years. Right, because I didn't. I didn't know you at all when you were at Bravo. I just heard the name, and like Bravo was like the big kid on the block. I remember it was a big deal when you moved over to Oxygen. Like everybody in town was like, they're moving over, and this must mean big things for Oxygen and where they're headed from here. And it was also great because Amy brought. You know, Amy worked there at the time. Right. Um, and Amy is you know incredible. She's who's now over at E. She's now at E. Yeah. So now you guys are part of the same family once and again. And we were like we were together at Bravo, and we had a great run together. And Eli was there, and 
Um, and then um, Amy left to go to Oxygen, and I was like, oh, wah, wah. And then Amy asked me if I'd come over, and so as did Lauren. And so it was it And you was, only moved across the hall, but it's a big shift. No, I actually didn't move anywhere. You stay the same office. My assistant stayed the same. My office stayed the same. One day I answered the phone, it was Corey Abraham from Bravo. The next Wait, day it was Corey Abraham from Oxygen. That was in the old office over in, in Burbank. Pinnacle. It was in Pinnacle, yeah, in Burbank. That's right. There was a set, but not on the lot, right? No, it was, I remember it was like you. the Arnie Morton's building. Yeah, it's it's the Morton's building because yeah. where CW was. Yeah. Now, wasn't Kristen Vadas at Oxygen? She was previous to you. She was on our floor. So when Oxygen, and then she ends up at CW, which is literally like across across the hall. Across the hall. I know. That's the oddest thing. The way, That's yeah. the oddest thing ever. I know. Because Kristen Vadas was there when um, Bad Girls Club launched, right? Yes. So when you got over there, it's Bad Girls Club and what else at Oxygen at this point? Tori and Dean. Guys, you got snapped. So let's so you got three hits. Let's just not forget about snapped. Right, you got, you got three hits at that point. Yeah, when you're coming over. Yeah, I remember having explained to me. I want you to tell me what what the explanation was at the time. But I remember having explained to me if I need to know the difference between Bravo and Oxygen. Think of Oxygen as the not as wealthy, more intoxicated younger sister of Bravo. It's kind of accurate. Is that accurate? At the time. <laughs> Is that accurate if I, I would describe it? I would say younger, um, less affluent. Um, you know, you want the oxygen audience to grow up to become the Bravo audience. Okay, that's what it was, right? The younger sister who is slightly naughty. The, yeah, right. It's the troubled younger sister the that gets into a little bit of sister, trouble, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, so that's a good description of what oxygen yeah. was. Yeah. I, the thing is, I kind of mourn your brand change here a little bit just because – as a fan of reality TV and someone working in the medium, like all of you cable networks now are getting so specific and so niche. And I always tell my partners when, we, when we're about to take something out to market, I'm like, you know, back in the day, you could take something out and get like five offers on it. Now, it's very, very rare that you can even pitch something, pitch more than three places of the same thing because oh, yeah. everyone has their own lane. And I feel like now we're entering this phase where it's kind of like the death of the classic reality TV format. Right, the over-the-top, loud format. Because you guys are now in crime. VH1 doesn't make those loud, crazy formats anymore. Um, A&E, which was a true just reality TV network, is now doing Scientology show and all these other crime shows and things of that nature. Where is that cable home for the big, loud, crazy format? There really aren't any anymore. Do you feel the same way? I don't know. I mean, I think that the docu-soap is challenged, right? Because I Mm. think that they're it's sort of hard to really care about other people that you don't to get newly invested in five women or five people or a community of people. It's really tough to get invested in them um, unless you're invested in what they're actually doing. Right. So you can get invested in live PD because you're invested in what they're actually doing, but a bunch of characters who are just a bunch of characters, I think it's really challenging. And the shows that are working really in the docu soap are the people that you know and love that you want to continue to go back and watch. It's right. vi- I, I can't remember a new docu-soap really hitting in with, a significant with, way. In, with in, civilians. Yes, with I, civilians. I, I, I've been saying that. Like, it feels like every five years you get a civilian family that comes along and becomes a hit, like Duck Dynasty, Chrisley's, you know, John and Kate Plus 8. But it's very rare. Like, in the last three years, I can't – if it's not attached to an existing franchise – Exactly. It's really hard to launch a civilian family in this market. Yeah. It's a face that you know and love or that you know know and hate that you want to continue to watch. And that's – by the way, think of like the scripted stuff too and all of the 
um, you know, the redos of Fuller oh. House and we're in reboot one day at a time. I mean, I, everything I, is we're in reboot central. Uh, my reboot. This is actually real. This is something I would love to do, but I, I can't because it's a Comcast owned property. I've tracked down the rights. I really think Celebrity Poker Showdown should be brought back. I love Celebrity that Poker was great. Showdown. That was great. That was great. That was another success, successful show when I started right. at Bravo. It that was, was great. That ran forever. I mean, it ran forever, but it was also very, it was, it's sort of what made poker interesting to the regular person. Yes. It sort of came out. And the great thing about Celebrity Poker Showdown, which they haven't really been able to recreate in another mm-hmm. game show, is you are watching somebody lie. You know that they're lying yep. and you root for them to get away with it. Yeah. Right. And that's really right. And are they going to get busted or are they yeah. not going to in every single hand? And so um, and it was fantastic to watch, you know, people like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon playing, too, Amazing. and having conversation. Yeah. And Kevin Pollack with his cool hats. Yeah. What series produced at any of the networks you've been at? So Bravo, VH1, Oxygen or wherever. In your experience, would you say if I had to put together the greatest all star team? of hot messes on one cast in one series. What cast do you think was head and shoulders above the rest? All first team hot mess. Okay. You say hot mess and there's a, there's the definition of okay. hot mess because any season Let's just go of the bad girls club is a hot mess. We <laughs> cast intentionally for hot messes, right? That really is what it was. It was how slow, so... how like how forgiving were those background checks? I mean, no, I mean, they were, they were pretty, they were background checks. There we were no people who had violence. That. Like, okay. no, yeah, we were very careful about like, you know, what kind of trouble they got into. I mean, yeah. listen, that was a, that was a rough show. And that's the show that probably would never get made ever again or couldn't because, right. which is the first one you said, because it was so, I mean, you would watch people, you know, hook up with each other in a shower and then come out and get in a fist fight because <laughs> one person wouldn't give the other person a towel. Like, and that was a real scene. <laughs> That was in, I don't know, season 10 maybe. Right, or so, eight. so for your money, of all the housewives, yeah. what is the best housewife cast of all time? Which, which iteration of what show is the best? Well, I, I mean, I'm a huge New York fan, and I was a New York fan from the very beginning. Okay. Um, but I have to say that I love, I love Beverly Hills, too. And I right? think Beverly Hills, you know, I was the story of how Beverly Hills got picked up is a great one. Last thing I want to get into. In reality shows, there's alliances that are formed. Uh, Ronda Rousey uh, has the four horsewomen. I think you are part of an alliance, Mm -hmm. so to speak. I had Sharon Levy as one of my earliest guests. You guys have this group of friends that seems like it's kind of like a fight club thing where, like, you guys don't like to talk about it. But I don't want to say click because click could be a little, like, insulting. I don't want to say it's a click. I don't want to say the mean girls. I don't want to say any of that. But you guys have this club of strong female executives and producers in this town. Can you confirm this? And can you confirm who is a member of the secret society you guys have formed? Okay. It's definitely – there is no secret society. Okay. I will say that I have some very good friends in this business that we all sort of grew up together. Okay. And being that nobody grew up in Los Angeles and we all moved here mm. – we ended up spending like holidays together because uh, we don't have family. None of us, none of my friends that live in LA that I've become really close with, although now, we, you know, have families of your own. We all right. have families of our own, but we all sort of spend a lot of time together. Okay. So, it's so you're not all a transplants. Click. I didn't know that. You're all transplants. Most of us are transplants. Okay. It's not a click. Yes. There's no click. It's just a group of friends. Just some friends. Who's a member of this group? I'm not going to say. You have, you have a mug in your office. I do have a mug. I can show you. I'll show you the mug. Okay, show me the mug. She's going up to the top of her desk right now, on I top of a filing confirm. cabinet. I will not confirm. There is a anybody. mug. There is a mug with a big collection 
Can you see anybody on there? Is well, there's women. There's a bunch of you in what looks like you're in Vegas or something with cops. Are these cops like pretending to arrest all of you? <laughs> is that what this is? I'm not going to confirm or deny anything. Someone's someone's in a wedding dress. Is this a? Is this a? Uh... Can you see who that is? No, because the, the uh, really no, because the the definition on this mug isn't very clear. The resolution on the photo, but is that someone that is? Is this their uh, bachelorette you, party? You happen to know everybody on that. I mug. do. Yeah. Is this a bachelorette party? No. So why is this someone dressed like they're in a wedding dress? Okay, I I definitely see Sharon Levy here, and is that... right, I'll give you, I'll give away the wedding dress. Okay, who's what's yeah? What's sort of the wedding That's dress? That's Beth Greenwald. That's Beth Greenwald. <laughs> Why, why is she dressed like that? Can't, why is she dressed like it's her bachelorette party? I can't party? say. Where has this taken place? Can you tell me that? That was in Las Vegas. This is in Las Vegas. So she's pretending to have a bachelorette party I in can't, Las Vegas? I can't say. I mean, this is, I mean, this is an amazing photo. Yeah. I mean, it was... I listen. can only make out a few faces here. This haircut here makes me feel like that's Domla. But is that not Domla? Who is that with the haircut there? That looks like Domla Dogan in the haircut. No. Who, do you know who that is? Yeah. Who is that? Getting into the car? No, right here. Next to the yellow dress. Kind of bent over the hood. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> okay, how many women are in the photo? I think 12. Okay, I'm going to make this my personal mission. Okay. To ID everybody in this everybody photo. In photo. Yeah. Um, but I will say that we're genuine friends. Like, we are genuine friends. And the reason that we don't like to talk about it or even, like, have a conversation because it feels like it's it's a club or a clique but the truth right. is like these are like my friends like they you know my kids call them aunts and my kids right. they go to my daughter's bat mitzvahs and light candles and so do you know no, what I'm I mean? just giving you a hard time because Sharon made it seem so secretive yeah, well, when Sharon's she was on the funny. show she didn't want to talk about it is there a name for the crew no there's no name no. how do you not have a name we're just friends you it's guys, called friends you guys work in the reality TV business how have you not come up with it's a name for your crew it's called a bunch of friends my group of friends we have a name for our crew I thought this is something that everybody does no my daughter's called them the yayas but the yayas yeah just because it's like you know sure uh, well, Corey, thanks for joining me on the show as she puts her mug back on the desk. Mug is back up. Was this okay? Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah, no, it was good. Thank you, Jimmy. Cool. Thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs>